If you will, please stand with me at the reading of Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. You may be seated. Martin Luther was a faithful monk in the Roman Catholic Church. He was faithful as a monk in that he believed what he was taught by the Roman Catholic Church, that we are not saved just by God. We are not saved only by God's work, is what he was taught. Our works have to cooperate with God's works, in order for us to be saved. Martin Luther then staked his very life on what he, he was told that was true. And so he wanted grace from God to, to be saved, but he knew that he had to cooperate with God's gifts in order to be saved. And, and, and because he felt so acutely the sickness of sin that he had in his heart, how he was so inclined toward unbelief and, and, and perverseness. He, he needed to be healed from this sickness. And he was taught that in order to get the grace that he would need to be healed from his sickness to sin, then what he needed to do was work. And the work that he needed to perform was he needed to go to Mass, the church gathering of the Catholic Church. He needed to cooperate with God so that he might be healed by God. And yet he was so very aware of the sins that he was committing. He didn't feel healed from sin because he kept on sinning. And he knew because he was taught that to receive forgiving grace for those sins, he had to confess those sins. And he would only be forgiven those sins that he actually confessed to a priest. That's what he was taught, so that's what he staked his life upon. And so he's plagued by guilt because he desperately wanted to be right with God. He kept coming to this priest to, to confess every transgression. He would spend hours with his confessor to the point where his confessor said, Look here, Brother Martin. Why don't you go and do something that is actually worth confessing? Why don't you go kill your mother? That's what he said. Go kill your mother. Go commit adultery. But stop coming in here with all these Small, fake sins. Martin Luther confessed that he hated God. He believed God was real. 
And he hated him because he was doing all the things he was taught that God wanted him to do. And he had no forgiveness. He had no sense of freedom from guilt. No matter how faithful he was to the Roman Catholic way of salvation, he couldn't get past Romans 1, verse 18. That the wrath of God is against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And that man, according to God, takes the righteousness of God and what is good according to God, and we, in our unrighteousness, suppress that truth, push it down, don't want to deal with it. And he knew that in his own heart. So he hated God because God judges justly. He did not misunderstand this about God. He knew what was true about God's judgment. It will be just. Verse 18 is absolutely True. Just look how Paul unpacks this in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. You, O man, have no excuse. Every one of you who judges other people because their sin is worse than yours, you haven't gone quite as far as them. Listen to what the Jews said to Jesus in Luke chapter 7. He said, this centurion, even though he's a Roman, he's worthy of your healing. For you to heal his servant, he's worthy of it because of what he has done. He has been kind to your people. He's given us a place to worship. He's done these things. We wouldn't say everyone is worthy, certainly every other Roman, but he is worthy compared to the other people. That is not the view of God. Everyone judges other people. And you have no excuse because you do the same things that you judge other people For doing, Paul says, chapter 3, look in verse 9. Jews are no better off than Gentiles. All of them are under sin. All of them are sinners. Jews are not worthy. None is righteous. You have to be perfectly righteous. Not righteous in comparison to your friends. Not righteous in comparison to your neighbors. Not righteous in comparison to Muslims or Buddhists. You have to be righteous in comparison to God. And no one is righteous. No one understands God's ways. No one seeks for God in the real sense. All have turned aside. Together, they have become absolutely worthless in God's eyes. No one does good. Not even one. What are you thinking will happen? What are you thinking will happen when the just judge looks at your life? Chapter 3, verse 19. Every mouth will be stopped. You won't have your friend, your brother your neighbor, a Muslim, a Buddhist, to say, better than him. Silence. No one will defend themselves when they're faced with God. Verse 20, by the works of the law or by any good deeds, no human being will be declared righteous in the sight of God. No one. So John Calvin said, what we need is to see 
the judge in heaven, not as our minds naturally imagine him to be. But as he is in his word, which says that by his strength, the mountains are melted. And by his wrath, the earth is shaken. That he catches the wise in their craftiness. And whose righteousness, not even his angels can stand to look at. Calvin says, let us behold him sitting in judgment to examine our deeds. Friends, God judges justly. And Martin Luther understood this very clearly. And so he was plagued by the question that you should be plagued by. We come in here I come in here and my concerns are about this life. I'm burdened, worried, praying mainly about my children being okay, about about us having wellness, about being able to cover the bills, about some conflict within family. God is righteous. Every sin will be eternally punished. He will judge your sins and mine. The question that Martin Luther cannot get past is, then how can anyone be right with God? And one day, saving grace came to that faithful monk in Romans 1, verse 17. He understood that the righteousness of God was not just explained in verse 18 as the quality of God's judgment that it will be righteous wrath. That it's right for God to pour out wrath upon every human. He came to understand from chapter 1 verse 17 and this saved his soul and started the Reformation. He came to understand that the righteousness of God was not just a quality of God's judgment, it was a gift from God to those who believe. That God was not just going to be righteous in judging, but that God was going to give the righteousness that the unrighteous do not have through faith in the gospel. So the gospel truth for this sermon on how we're saved through faith alone is this. Sinners are united to the Savior through faith alone. Sinners are united to the Savior through faith and through nothing else. Through faith alone. Point number two. The ungodly are declared righteous. Point number one was God judges justly. Point number two is the ungodly are declared righteous. Look in Romans 3, verse 21. 
Remember that phrase, the righteousness of God is a gift. That's what Martin Luther discovered in the Reformation. It is what God gives to us, not just describing how God will judge us. It is a gift that he gives to us that we need in order to be saved, truly. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested, made known, displayed, revealed, apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What this is saying and what Martin Luther discovered, what I hope your soul has discovered is that the perfect righteousness that God demands of you, He must have it from you if you will have Him. He could not see that. It could not come from our obedience to His law. Because everyone falls short. And it's not good to fall at all. To break any of it is to break all. All of it. And the good news of the gospel is that God gives the righteousness that He requires. He gives the righteousness that He demands. He gives it to those who believe in Jesus. The the question verse 26 is answering is how can this be? How can it be that He is just and justifies? How can He be just and right with sinners, but then also justify them, declare them to be righteous when they are unrighteous. How can that be? How can he judge the unrighteous person as being righteous? Is he ruining his justice when he declares that the ungodly, clearly all the evidence presented shows that they are ungodly, how can he not ruin justice by calling them godly? And the clues are given in verses 24 and 25. It's through redemption. Understand redemption. Paul brings us into the marketplace. God is walking down the aisles of the market. And he sees a bunch of slaves. And he wants them. But the question is, If he is the one that the slaves owe an infinite debt, how is it that he can set them free? The payment, in other words, that he has to put down on the table has to, by their freedom, and at the same moment, satisfy his wrath if he's going to be just. To buy them, he's got to put down a payment that will at the same time free them from their sin 
their slavery to sin, and at, at the same moment be, be what He deserves to pay off their infinite debt to Him for the sins that they've committed against Him. And verse 25 is God putting His payment down. He's putting His money down in verse 25. What is His money? It's His Son. He puts forward His Son. This is my payment. As a propitiation, which is a blood sacrifice that absorbs all anger for their sins. All of it. All all of His anger has to be satisfied. All of their hell has to be satisfied. So Martin Luther put it this way, on the cross, what God was putting forward, what He was saying to His Son, is you be Peter the denier. On the cross, Jesus, my beloved Son who is perfect, you be Paul the persecutor. You be on the cross, become David the adulterer. You become the thief on the cross. In the gospel, the righteousness or the justice of God is displaced. He, had for, he was forbearing with those sins and not punishing them all that time before Jesus came. How is he just if he's not just, if he's just ignoring their sins? He's not ignoring their sins. He's storing them all up so that he can pour them all out on his son. The justice of God is seen on the cross because the full wrath of God is being borne by Jesus on the cross. He is totally just. All those sins fully paid for. And in the gospel, God is not just just, but He's justifying the ungodly in a way that is just or right. He only is going to call righteous those sinners who believe in that one who was exchanging His righteousness for their sin. That's how He's just. Because there's an exchange that's happening in that payment. I give you my son, I get the slaves. No longer slaves. And the Roman Catholic Church responded to Luther's realization of this in what's called the Council of Trent. In the Council of Trent, listen to what the Roman Catholics said and what they still uphold. If anyone saith that by faith alone the impious or unrighteous is justified, let him be anathema. Let him go to hell. If by faith alone you are justified, let Anyone who believes that goes straight to hell. Just to be totally clear with the official teachings of the Catholic Church. If you do not get yourself to confession, if you do not get yourself to Mass, if you do not get yourself to work, you will not be saved. I want you to understand how serious this is. How you get yourself in a right relationship with God, whether that is on one option, cooperating with God, or you get right with God by solely trusting in God's work. Your choice of these two options makes an eternal difference. That's what the Catholic Church is saying. Now, they've chosen the wrong option. If your performance determines your standing before God every time, what that means is every time you do not perform, every time you sin, 
you have lost your assurance. Because your assurance that you are saved is is dependent upon your works. The key to understanding justification through faith is union. Justification, we just read this, it's, it's God as a judge declaring that the unrighteous are righteous. That's justification, declaring from the bench that the unrighteous are innocent. The understanding, the key to understanding this doctrine, that it comes through faith alone, is union. Now, joint bank accounts are not as common as they once were. I don't know if you've heard this. Joint bank accounts are not as common as they once were. There's a new trend for married couples where they get married, but they keep their money separate. Now, I just, I just want to draw attention to this. Marriage in God's eyes is the two become one. Marriage today says, your debt is yours, my riches are mine. I'm not touching your debt, and you can't have my riches. Look in Romans 4, verse 22. Righteousness was counted or credited, declared to Abraham through his faith. And that was not just true of Abraham, verse 23 says. Verse 24 says it's true for us. Who believe in Jesus, or in God who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. You will be considered righteous if you believe in Him. Because, it says in verse 25, He was delivered up for our debt. And he was raised to justify us. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified, declared righteous by faith in Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the key. Union is the key. Those who believe in Jesus are united to Jesus. Not like some married couples are united. I mean really united. Chapter 5, verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, Adam, Adam sinned, and then death ruled through that one man, everyone dies after Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness Reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. All, Paul says, you've got to understand this, all are born. You were born, I was born, everyone was born, united to Adam. Such that what he did back in the garden is ours. We die because he sinned. 
We are in Adam. His one sin led to not just our earthly death, but our condemnation before God. And just so you know, you prove and I prove that we belonged to Adam because we so quickly lived like Adam. That's the proof that we are in Adam. And Paul is saying that believers are now united not to Adam, but they're in Jesus. That his righteous life led to justification, to God declaring that sinners who trust in Jesus are righteous. You cannot be saved by any righteousness in you because you are full of sin, not righteousness. All your righteousness is sinful. The Bible says this. Believers are declared righteous, judged righteous, because our groom is righteous. It is union with Him. Our judge looks at His credit of righteousness and He counts that to us because He's our groom, because we're united to Him. Our judge united us to Him so that our debt was given to Him. Union is the key to understanding how we can be right with God. I want you to see how beautiful this picture is. In the incarnation, what was the Son of God doing? When He went to the cross to die on the cross, what was the Son of God doing? The Father was standing before Jesus and saying, Will you take this bride with all her debt? Will you take her? I'll take her. And then he turns to the bride. Those who would be the bride, who are not the bride because he hasn't declared us the bride yet, but he's asking, will you take this Savior with all of his righteousness? What do you say? Do not say. Well, I'm not, I'm not such a bad catch. I, a little offended by you saying all that I bring is debt. Uh, I've got some righteousness that I can deposit into our joint account. I can bring. Don't say that. The Jews said that. The Jews said that. The Jews said, Jesus, the centurion, is worthy. He is worthy because of what he's done. And the centurion, if you notice, said, I am not worthy. Don't listen to them. Don't even come. They said, you can go into his house and heal his servant, because he is worthy. And the centurion said, don't come into my house. You don't even need to come into my house to heal my servant because you are worthy. But don't come into my house because I'm not even worthy for that. I'm not even worthy to come up out to you and greet you. I am not worthy. And Jesus saw that and he said, I see faith in him that I did not hear from the Jews. Come and save him because he is worthy. I am not worthy. Jesus says, that's faith. That's faith. Faith is, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. 
Christ's righteousness, if you're not careful, you will misunderstand this. Christ's righteousness is not this gift package that God hands to the bailiff. And the bailiff walks all the way clear across the courtroom to that defendant stand. And way over there on the other side of the courtroom, he's, the bailiff is carrying Christ's righteousness and saying, will you take Christ's righteousness? That's not Christ's righteousness in the Bible. Christ's righteousness is, belongs to the believer because we are one. We're not separated. The judge is not seeing us as go over there. He's seeing us hidden in Him. We are in Christ, partakers of Christ. Faith is, my sin was put on Christ on the cross. Faith is, His righteousness is mine. It is mine. All that is His, because it's union, it's marriage, all that is His belongs to the believer. All of Jesus' victory over sin is mine. All of Jesus' victory over Satan is mine. All of Jesus' victory over death is mine. All of God's acceptance of His Son is mine. All of God's love for His Son is mine. My groom's sonship is mine. My groom's home is mine because it's my groom's home. My groom's father is now my father. My groom's spirit is mine. We are one. We are united through faith, found forever in Him, so that Paul then says, not even death do you part. Not even death will part you from Him. Y'all hear that? Anyone hearing this? Good heavens. This is the greatest truth because it deals with our greatest need. And you need to understand that faith is the instrument. It is the instrument, not the cause. It is the instrument that unites us to Christ said in chapter 3, verse 22 again. The righteousness of God is a gift from God, giving the righteousness of God. His righteousness He gives through. That word through is so important. It's an instrument word. I'm going to take another shot at encouraging you. Your faith does not save you. Your faith does not save you. You're not saved by your faith. You will be saved through your faith. Faith is an instrument that unites you to the Savior. He saves us. This is absolutely essential. Your faith does not save you. Christ saves you. And what connects you to Christ, like life-giving water, flows through, through a pipe. Faith is an instrument. It's a vessel that connects. It unites us 
to the Savior that God Himself put forward to give the blood you need for forgiveness and to give the righteous life you need for Him. Faith connects us. It doesn't save us. Christ saves us. I hope you get this already, but let me belabor the point. Faith is not a work. It doesn't even logically make sense to call faith a work. Faith forsakes worth works. It is forsaking works. By definition, isn't it? Faith is looking outside of yourself to the works of someone else. I'm trusting in Him. I'm despairing of self. That's so important because, here it is, it is not your, the amount of your faith that saves you. It is the object of your faith that saves you. It is not how sincerely did you really mean it. Don't trust in your faith. Trust in the Savior. What that means for you, Christian, then, is your standing before God was never based on anything in you. None of your actions. And what that means is it's totally based upon Christ's actions. So that when someone trusts in Christ's, even after that when they sin, they are no less accepted than when they first believed. Your actions do not change the verdict at all. Being saved through faith alone means that we are never more or less justified no matter what we are doing. I don't take for granted that everyone here is justified. Listen to me. Trust in Christ. I don't mean just say His name. I don't mean just pray a prayer. I mean put all the weight of your eternity on Him. What trust is, is... God's going to keep His promise. I will fail. I will continue to sin. I can never be accepted in His sight, no matter how good I am from this day forward. Christ was accepted. Christ is perfect. God accepted Christ and raised Him from the dead. Trust in Christ. Put all your hope in God keeping His promise through the resurrection in Christ. Don't ever trust your imperfect faith. It will never be perfect. Trust in the perfect Savior. And if you trust in Him and turn from your sins, He will save you. Sinners are united to the Savior through faith alone. Point number three, faith is never alone. Faith is never alone. You're saved through faith alone, but faith is never alone. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln when he uh, went into the marketplace and, was, and there were sale, uh, slaves on the, on, the, on the block. And he starts bidding for this slave girl. And the slave girl sees this white man and she says, well, he's just like them all. He's going to buy me and abuse me. And then after Abraham Lincoln won the auction, he said to his property, my daughter... You are free. And she said, what does that mean? He said, it means you're free. 
And she said, does that mean that I can say whatever I want? And he said, it means you can say whatever you want. Does it mean that I can be whatever I want to be? Yes, it means that you can be whatever you want to be. Does it mean I can go wherever I want to go? Yes, it means that you can go wherever you want to go. And she said with tears pouring down her face, then I will go with you. There's a scholar named Erasmus who objected to Martin Luther teaching this. And he said, everyone who believes what Martin Luther is saying only wants wives and wealth. They want to believe in a Christ who will just enable them and free them to live however they want. Now, I need to tell you that that's never what Luther taught. That's never what Calvin taught. That's a misunderstanding and a twisting of justification by faith. But that twisting and misunderstanding is rampant here. There may be good intentions why churches and preachers say you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. But they don't include this truth that faith is never alone. You can't just go on living just wanting sex and money. The person who's saved will never do that. Let me be clear. John Piper said this, We are made right with God through faith alone. And we will not attain heaven through faith alone. We are made right with God through faith alone. We will not attain heaven Through faith alone. There are conditions for entering into heaven that are not there for entering into the right relationship with God. We will be judged according to our works. We will be judged as to whether we really believed according to our works. So John Calvin thought it was helpful to say, we're united to the vine." And the vine saps all that is His. Christ is filled with love for God. Christ meets every condition to be in God's presence. And He fills all who are connected to Him as a branch. All those conditions. Christ gives love for God. Christ gives love for neighbor. Christ gives obedience to Him. Christ gives to everyone who trusts in Him. Perseverance in trust. Because Christ gives His Spirit to all who trust in Him. And and the Spirit will do this work. Whoever Whoever God declares to be righteous will delight in righteousness. Whenever God declares someone to be righteous, they then start becoming what He has declared. Because His Word is always effective. We're not made right by that Or we're made right by His declaration of what Christ has done. But then Christ puts us to work by His grace. The Bible tells us that. And beloved, let me encourage you not to commit spiritual manslaughter by leaving this out. Don't do it. 
Don't just go there and declare people followers of Christ before you see them following Christ. Because everyone who God declares righteous starts pursuing righteousness. You are not a follower of Christ until you follow Christ. James says in James chapter 2, there is a demon kind of faith. There is a demon kind of profession of Jesus. They know He's the Holy One. They know He's the Lord and Savior. They will not be in heaven. There is a dead kind of faith, James said. You can claim Christ, but still be enslaved to your sin. Not like that slave girl who is like every Christian. That once she was bought, once the payment was put down, after that she wants him. I'll go with you. That is the necessary consequence. Look back in chapter 1 of Romans. Look at, back in chapter 1. What is this faith that Paul has been so clear about? Chapter 1, verse 5. Through Jesus Christ, we have received grace. And the Apostle Paul, he knows his, his role is to bring about what? The obedience of faith. That means if you've got this faith, it leads to obedience. Faith obeys. So Calvin put it this way. Faith is like the sun in the the sky. And you can understand justification being declared righteous and sanctification being made righteous like the light and the heat that comes from the sun. What he's saying is light is never alone. The sun gives off light and heat. And it's never just light. It's always light and heat. The sun brings light that we see and it brings heat that we feel. We are saved through faith alone. In the works of Christ alone. But saving faith is never alone. Sinners are united to the Savior through faith alone. I close with the words of a hymn. When from the dust of death I rise to claim my home beyond the skies, then this shall be my only plea. Jesus has lived and died for me. Bold shall I stand in that great day, and none condemn me, try who may. Fully absolved by you, I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. Oh, let the dead now hear your voice. Let those once lost in sin rejoice. Their beauty this, their glorious dress, Jesus, your blood and righteousness. What we are clothed in that will give us the home we're claiming. The beauty that warrants us going in there and boldly standing without anyone to condemn us. Our glorious dress, what we're wearing, what we're covered by, what we're hidden by is Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Father in heaven, we pray that you would make us 
men and women, boys and girls who love the Lord Jesus, who forsake every work. We will not be saved by our works ever, but our works will prove that we have been saved through our faith. So God, fill this congregation with life, with the works of righteousness, but do this because they have been declared righteous apart from every work. Oh, Lord Jesus, get the glory that you are due by being the only Savior and by proving that you save us from sin by making us righteous. And we ask this in your name. Amen.